Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan, and we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon, here to open up our lives and minds with you. We are your companion on the journey to grow your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To get you started, we've got a free email course on our website, shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course, with practical steps on overcoming your fear and anxiety. Thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Shrink Think Podcast. We're here today talking about parents who bring their children or their adolescents, teenagers to therapy. So if you are one of those people who is considering taking your child to therapy, or maybe you already are, then this episode is for you. There are some great benefits and advantages of taking your kid to therapy. Obviously, you love your child. Nathan and I, uh, our parents, we've got children ourselves. And so we understand what it's like to have kids. You want you want what's best for them. And obviously, you don't want them to suffer. You don't want them to be having problems or troubles. And it's, it's especially difficult when you're a parent and your kid is having some of these problems and you have no idea what to do. You've tried everything you possibly could try. You've talked to a number of people and the issue is still there. You don't really know what's going on. And so you are going to a therapist, to a counselor, in hopes that they can help your kid where you can't. So you're putting a lot of trust in this other person and in the process. And you're feeling, you know, quite honestly, really powerless and frustrated, maybe even a bit scared. And so it's great that you're going there. But there are some things that we want you to know that would be helpful for you to know about that process in order to maximize that experience for you, for your kid and for the therapist. And there are probably things that you don't really realize that you probably need to have some of that information. And that's why we're here. The Shrink Think podcast exists to give you some of that behind the scenes information to maximize your therapy experience. So, Nathan, let's get this started. If you are a parent and you're bringing your kid to therapy, what's the first thing that people need to know? It's all about you. That's right, baby. (laughs) I'm sorry to let you know that. Let it settle. It's probably about you. I love this. I get to play the good cop and Nathan's the bad cop. Wow, that's terrible information, Nathan. Tell our audience more about that. That's right. You've been totally stupid and dumb for a long time. I'm just totally kidding. No, the reality is, is that kids experience your anxiety. They're totally aware of you, right? So they know. Here's a funny thing, by the way, in regards to that. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, this is just funny. And it works every single time. Parents will be like, well, I don't know. If, um, this is what's been going on, but they don't know this because I we've been very careful about making sure that blah, blah, blah. We've never had any conversations, but they probably have noticed that there have been some changes in our home. And then you get the kid in there and, and, I'll, and I'll be I'll, first of all, I'll tell them they know everything you're talking about. <laughs> right. Yeah, they already know. <laughs> and then they'll be like, what? And I'll be like, OK. Um, and with one parent in particular. That we really had a good relationship right off the bat. You get those clicks every now and then. I said, you know what? Don't tell me. Um, don't tell me anything else. I'm going to talk to your kid. And I, will, <laughs> I will only tell you what they tell me. It's like a pre-test, post-test. Okay, you, you give your answer. I'll talk to the kid and get their answer. We'll see if they line up. <laughs> right. It's amazing the detail the kids have. They have so much. Like this one kid goes, um, so here's the deal. This kid is 11, okay? Um, so I know something's going on because I woke up. And when I came down in the next morning and there was a beer in the fridge and like my mom doesn't drink beer 
but I didn't see anybody. But I'm pretty sure that I heard a guy's voice the other night. And so, like, he had surmised this entire situation and figured it out. But he didn't want to talk to his mom about it, so he was anxious about the entire thing. And so a lot of the anxiety is coming from that scenario, right? So it's not necessarily that as a parent, when I say that it's all about you, that you're, like, doing this horrible Stupid job. and dumb. <laughs> exactly. It's not what you actually said earlier. That's not it. <laughs> right. By the way, Nathan's a great therapist. <laughs> you just have to trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's about it. You do just have to trust him. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so it's it's not necessarily that. It's more that um, kids don't have access to all the information, right? But they, but they're watching something happen, and then you know they do the same thing that we all do. It's like, what's the worst case scenario? Yep, monsters are taking over everything and killing people. You know, or what, whatever yeah, a kid. They're does. filling in the blanks that they don't have with their own imaginations, right? And so a long time ago, one of uh, an older therapist told told me he he goes. Um, well, really, what kids are is symptom bearers. They and and I started looking at um, family systems that way, and it was really interesting because it really worked well when you had, for example, a situation where there was two children, because one child would literally be acting out the symptoms. Like, so let's say dad is like a bit more anxious, right? And you got one kid, their anxiety is through the roof, um, and then mom, let's say that mom's more depressed. And you've got the other kid is totally depressed. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. And so then I, you could actually use it as a therapist to even bring it back in the family and say, I think you might, or you seem like you might be a little bit more depressed talking to mom. Well, I've never really thought much about it, but I have been down lately. And I'm like, okay, the kid's right. So part of it as a, as a therapist is you, it's helpful to work with you as a parent in order, because you're on the tip of the spear. I mean, We've talked earlier, like in a previous episode, actually a couple ago, about doing homework. And the reality is, is if if we can help you do things different, you're going to repeat those and the kid's just going to have a different context for like the, for an entire week. Right. And it's it is challenging. I, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode what it's what it's like for you. You have so much invested into your child and in, and in their life. Right. In a lot of ways. For many of us, we want to give our kids a better life than what we had. You know, maybe our parents were good and we want to repeat that. Or there were some things that were bad and we were like, we definitely don't want to do those things. And it's a little human being. It's like the rest of their life is depending on what you're doing right now. No pressure. (laughs) Of course, you feel the pressure all the time. And so so to hear someone say your worst fear as a parent, to hear a therapist, a professional say your worst fear hey, I think it might be you. That is really scary. And that can hit home because you don't want to do to your kids what your parent did to you. But the reality is we all are doing that. And when you can have some level of acceptance that even if you're doing like nine things great, you're screwing something up over there. That, that's the 10th thing. And all of us are screwing something up in our children because none of us is perfect. We all have some blind spots. We've got things that we're good at and working on. And then we've got some weaknesses that we're that we're struggling with, that we're always trying to improve on. And you can't sometimes see those weaknesses until your symptom bearer is like crying out for help. And so I guess the first thing when we talk about it's all about you is that just just go into it with some humility, some acceptance no shame. There's no shame and there's no judgment about it. We don't, we don't 
want to say to parents, you're awful and you're screwing up your kid. What's wrong with you? We're not here to like shame you. We want you to see what's going on so that you can do something about it because we know that you want things to get better and you want your child to feel better. And if we need to look at you as part of that um, system that's causing some of that, then we want to help you to see that so that you can do something different about it to empower you. Right. It's not about who you are. That's what shame is. It's about more like the different things you're doing. And also it will likely be about what you believe, stuff that you don't necessarily know. Um, but the other thing is, is that, you know, Aaron was talking about this being a worse fear, which I think is totally true. It, it is. It would be a worse fear with me. I'm just glad that I do everything right. Um, <laughs> sorry for Aaron. He's apparently he's not doing things right. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it all wrong. No, but um, is that the, the behavior that children do sometimes is so different or obtuse or or like outside of a norm that you're not going to see your contribution often. Like you won't, it'll be like, I don't do anything that could cause that. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I'm not doing, there's nothing that I've done that could justify my kid being that kind of a turd, you know, like, or whatever it happens to be. And so while we're challenging is we're suggesting, okay, look, you're probably not doing something that's egregious, but the reality is, is that whatever's going on, your kiddo's genetic pool of stuff inside of him and how his anxiety or depression or whatever works is responding to that thing that if you change it likely everything else will also change but on the other hand the kid probably needs skills that you may not necessarily be able to teach because if you were they would have already been taught right so another way of looking at it is we just want to put all the cards on the table and see what we're working with so that we can understand what's going on and then be able to implement some skills, some interventions, some changes, whether it's giving you some skills to do some things differently and or some combination of giving the child some skills so that they can do some things differently so that the family can be functioning much better together. And I want to honor a couple of things here. One is that there are, I mean, kids do have mental health problems. I mean, like that have nothing to do with you. I mean, there's there's bipolar disorder, there's stuff like that, like clinical depression that it's not you. But here's the thing. What we're talking about is kind of twofold. On the one hand, and this is going to open up a bag of worms that I think that we can address some of here in a second. If you are genetically, um, like you are the genetic parent, uh, you're your bio parent, right? If you struggle, for example, with biting your nails and you have a kid that's a lot like you that bites their nails, you are not going to be able to teach them to not bite their nails because you can't not bite your nails yourself. And the way your kid works is like a lot like you, which means that whatever didn't work for you will not work for them. And so this does open the can though about like for the blending, blended families, step parents, and that kind of thing. The, the reason why I say that it, that it opens that can is because if you are a step parent, and you're like, well, I don't have any of that stuff and nothing that I'm saying is going to be able to fix it. Um, like I suggest them not to bite their nails and they still don't do it. I mean, I don't bite my nails and I can't get them to stop biting them, you know, or whatever. And also, side note, step parents don't have as much authority with kids that are not their own. And that's I mean, if you read all the books, that's a fact. Um, and, and I agree with that. I mean, at best, if you're a step parent, what you probably need to focus on more is just being a, a good friend. And then also what you can always do is kids need to learn how to respect boundaries, right? So you do have authority over yourself, 
you just don't necessarily have the same kind of authority over uh, the kid of another another person. Yeah, I think there's another component that also gets lost in this oftentimes um, that's important for us as parents to remember is that our children are independent agents making their own free decisions. You know, so much of the time as parents, we think that we're doing this to our children. And if we just did everything differently, then they would respond differently. So it's it's interesting. On the one hand, we don't want to be at fault because it's like, oh, it's not my fault. I didn't cause this. But then at the same time, on the other hand, we are taking full responsibility and recognizing that if we don't if we do something different then the kid if we didn't do something different if we were different if we didn't have this issue if we didn't whatever the kid would not be doing this but that's neglecting the idea that your kid is making their own decision you could be doing a lot of things really well and teaching your kid all the skills that they need to have but there's some other dynamic going on or the kid is making their own decision to rebel or um, they they're just choosing to not listen they want to just do things themselves and so they might be causing their own problems so I think that's the other component to keep in mind while you might have your own responsibility in this parent, your child also has their own responsibility. And we just want to put all those cards on the table in therapy. And because it's difficult for therapists, if you're coming in as a parent and saying, here's my kid, fix them, they are the problem, or they've got this issue, can you help them? And we're looking at it like, well, mom, dad, I think you've got some issues. That's a really difficult conversation for us to have in general. And then it's especially difficult if you're not really even open to that that idea. So we want you to go in being informed of this so that you can put that on the table and open the door for your therapist to be able to speak to you. Yeah, and this kind of leads us to the next thing that's wonderfully complicated. I, I mean, to be honest, this is the most major frustration that us therapists have um, when it comes to working with kids. And that is the age of consent. So the age of consent is different wherever you could live, right? You need to know what that is based in your state in the United States. In Oregon, it's 14. And what consent essentially means is when a, when a person can say they want counseling uh, or they want medical treatment, because at that same age, they also have privacy. So they don't have, like at 14 years old in Oregon, you don't have to have uh, you could go in as a 14 year old and say that you want counseling and you as a parent don't get to know that. Like we have to protect that information as therapists. And it's frustrating for us because like frustrating for me anyway, that because oftentimes everything else we've said in the first half of this podcast is true. We need you involved, but we may not even be able to acknowledge that your kid is in therapy. Right. So in terms of working with your kid, the age of consent, I think just it leads to some challenges in terms of communication and coordination, because obviously the, the kid is not an adult. They're not just an independent agent living on their own. They're part of this system and they're still growing and developing. And we want and need to know, OK, what are the rest of the parts of the system that are going on? Like mom and dad, brothers and sisters, extended family, that kind of stuff. And if the kid doesn't have that information or if they're just wanting to come in and keep things um, private, that just presents some challenges. So just understand that the age of consent is another one of those things for bringing your kid to therapy that does present some challenges. Like you as a parent, you might you do have access uh, to the records uh, that your your child is um, is is attending in therapy, but they also have the right to privacy. They could say, I don't want my parent knowing this stuff. 
And so as as therapists, we will generally try to limit the information. It's like we're trying to walk this tightrope between we want to honor and respect you parents, but we also need to honor and respect the confidentiality of the client, the kid to do what, you know, to have the safety of that space to talk about and explore all the things that they need to without infringing the, their parent infringing on that space. Cause that's exactly what makes it safe in the first place is that nobody else can know about this, not even mom and dad. Right. And so the, it's the complication of this really goes down to like, they don't have to, <laughs> I was thinking you were saying what you're saying, Aaron, but there's the other side of this coin. The reason why this consent thing became a thing is because people were realizing in some families, in some situations, these kids need help. And if their parents find out, they're going to get severely injured. Um, so the parents basically can't know that this kid is getting help because it's going to make things really bad at home. And if the parents ask for the information or whatever, we actually can totally deny them and say, nope, you can't have the records. Like, it's not happening. The kid has charge of whatever's going on. And so... It's hard, though, because on the other hand, we have to respect that as therapists, even if we believe you're the best parents in the world. And I can tell you this, though, what, I, what I'll tell parents is, is, look, if you ask me what's going on every time and your kid even knows that you asked the question, um, my job is kind of over. I mean, because I'm now tainted. I am the agent of the parents and they will start editing everything that they're talking about um, and it, with the expectation that I'm just going to tell you everything, even if I'm not telling you anything. Right. And, and what that means to you, again, we're trying to empower you, parent, uh, as you are taking your kid to therapy. We're trying to empower you in terms of how to do this well. So if if you need to know everything and then your ther- your kid's therapist is becoming tainted and poisoned, you're not going to see the results, the outcomes, the changes that you're looking for. And then it's going to be really easy to blame the therapist, right? Well, you should just be doing that. You should just be doing this. Meanwhile, you're being overbearing or controlling or trying to be overly involved. And that's, that is essentially hamstringing the therapist and halting all the progress. So we want you to know that because being too involved is not a good thing. At the same time, the other side of that coin is you don't want to be too passive because we do need your involvement. It is important for you to, to be involved in the way that the, the therapist sees would be helpful. Maybe the therapist needs to meet with you individually, privately to find out more about how you're doing things or what some of your values are, or maybe even it's some things about you, like what, what's some of your upbringing that might be contributing to what you're doing and, and how that might be impacting your kids. So just be aware that there's this kind of tight balance between being involved and in the process and knowing what's going on and then giving your kids space and freedom to talk. And that leads us to the very last thing, which is communication with a therapist or the coordination with a therapist is, is different. I think when you're an individual going to therapy, it's just you and the therapist. You're coordinating schedules, you're communicating in session. But when you have a kid involved, you're now coordinating like their school schedule or if there are other parents involved or step parents involved, then you're coordinating multiple people's schedules, perspectives, needs, concerns, and just just realize that that has a tremendous impact on how things work with the therapist. You might all of a sudden be expecting the therapist to see your your kid in session, but then also respond to emails or phone calls or uh, text messages that you have. And generally speaking, we don't do that. We try to keep things in session where they're sort of controlled, if you will. We can like address them head on. 
But if you do need to pass some information via email or phone call or whatever, generally speaking, this is our time and if we're providing a service, we're still doing our job. And so we expect to get paid for that. And some therapists don't charge for that. Um, if you're if you are a therapist, you really do need to be charging for that because you're still providing valuable time and services. But if you're a parent, just understand that that those things might cost extra, but it's for a good reason, because we're trying to coordinate and triage around the issue. And you you can't just limit it to like the, the session. There just needs to be more that's done outside and in between that. Yeah. Part of the the complication that Aaron's talking about, there is a lot of there's a lot of relationships involved. So ch- child therapists actually end up having to navigate really tenuous relationships in several different directions on a regular basis, because there's some things that you might think are normal or intuitive, and I'm not going to get in the weeds on this, but I'll give you an example, would be custody, right? Therapists do not determine custody. They don't speak into custody. They haven't shaken hands with custody. They're not friends with it. They work with your kid and that's it. But it's a common thing for a therapist to have this conversation and go, nope, I'm not doing, nope, I can't write that. Nope, your your lawyer needs what? Nope, I'm not doing that. So that's not my job. Right. So it it is complicated. And we just want to kind of on behalf of those child therapists out there say, all right, give them some slack. Know that they are having to navigate a lot of relationships and they're doing the best they can. And they really want the best for the kid ultimately. And they're trying to figure out how to help everybody get that result. But most importantly, for the kid's life to settle down. So I just said a lot in conclusion. We will hope this was helpful. We know it's bigger than this. We probably will get a panel together in the future of child therapists to speak into this in more depth. But until then, have a great day. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening.